This is a shear on Likutei Sichas Chelik Chaf Aleph, Book Twenty One, the Sicha of Teruma, the first Sicha. <coughs> Already spoken many times, says the Rebbe, about the names of the Sedras, even though simply speaking, the name of each Sedra is going by the beginning of the Sedra. Since I mean, uh, you know, for example, Bereshis, the Sedra Bereshis called Bereshis because the first word is Bereshis, Bar Elikim, and so on. However, since it's a custom, it's become a minig Yisrael, a custom amongst Israel to give, to call the parsha by those names, and it's not negotiable, except for several select parshas. All the parshas are called by all Jewish people the exact same name. And a minig Yisrael, a custom amongst Jews, Torahi, is considered to be Torah. So we know that Torah, everything has to be exact. Torah is not just approximate, Torah is exact. So we understand that the name of each sedra expresses its particular content. It's not just a handle, it's also a description. As we understand also from the teaching of the Baal Shem Tev, about things in the world in general, that the name that something is called in the holy tongue, in the holy language, is the vitality of the thing, and therefore it hints to its content. In other words... Other languages we call are called heskemi. There are um, basically by agreement. If we all agree to call this pen a shmagayanki, then it's going to be, we can make up a new language. It's called a shmagayanki. So the, the fact that everybody agreed that this is called a pen doesn't mean that this actually expresses the inner godly vitality and, uh, and, and, and structure of the pen. However, when it comes to Lashon HaKodesh, the holy language, Hashem created the world in Lashon HaKodesh. So the word that it has actually expresses its individuality, expresses its essence, it describes it. Its vitality comes from its name. And therefore, if it's called that, it's called that not just because people agreed to call it that way without any relationship to the inner meaning of the thing. It expresses the inner meaning. And this concept that the word of the parsha, the name of the parsha, is not just a, a sign, that's an arbitrary sign. We see this also from the name of our parsha this week, Teruma. If we would, under, if we would accept that every parsha is called according to the opening words, okay, the Rebbe says it here in square brackets, of course it can always be according to the opening words because sometimes the opening words are similar to all other sedras. For example, it says, Eile Toilus, these are the children of. So we have Eile Toilus Noyach and Eile Toilus Yitzchak. So the word Toilus just means children of. So it's not, it's too generic. So we'll go to a word after that. In the case of Noyach, it's Noyach. In the case of Toilus, it retains Toilus, right? Or Vayem Hashem. How many parshas start with Vayem Hashem? So that's not the name of, you can't give a, 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 a name of a parsha to distinguish it from other parshas. And therefore, there needs to be something, but it should be very close to the beginning of the parsha. But if that's the case, that we usually go according to something distinguishable, which will can discern this parsha from others, but it's at the beginning, the opening words of the parsha, the word truma is preceded by another word that's unique, which is vayikru. They shall take from me truma. So why doesn't that, why isn't it called parsha's vayikru, taking? For this we understand that the fact that we call this, this the name of the said the truma is not just because this is the first word at the opening passages of, the, of this parsha which would be distinguishable from others. No, but because the word truma actually expresses 
something about the content of this parsha, and that's what distinguishes it in its essence from other parshas. So we have to understand. First of all, hey, the word truma we're going to explain in chapter two of this sicha doesn't really doesn't really express the entire content of the parsha. It's just one aspect of the parsha. We're going to point out, but more than that, the word truma is not unique to our parsha. Our sages tell us that there's ten kinds of trumas. You know, there's a truma, literally, when we say the word default truma, means when you give to the koyan, the first fruits. Here it's just talking about one kind of truma. And it's not talking about truma. Truma means a donation, or a separation to give. Here it's just talking about one kind of giving, the giving to the building of the Mishkan. And actually, even if, okay, there is an opinion, the Medrash says here, that um, the word truma is used three times in the opening verses of this of this parsha that tells us that it's referring to three kinds of donations. Just to tell you what they are, the half shekel for the sockets of the Mishkan, the silver sockets, the half, uh, the, the, the generic donation that everybody can give whatever they want, voluntary donation, the rich gave more, the poor gave less, and then again the half shekel, which was an only, only a half shekel, rich or poor alike, to become contributors in the collective carbonus, the carbonus sibir, the public carbonus needed to be given by everybody. Everybody gave half a shekel. So there are three trumas spoken about here, but it doesn't matter. It's not the ten. The word truma has many other, has seven other attachments could be used. So the word truma doesn't really express what we're talking about here. Especially, we talk about default truma. Default truma, we just say the word truma, it means the first of the produce that goes to the kayan. So why are we calling this parsha truma, where, as if to say that this expresses the content of the parsha, where the word truma doesn't really do justice to what our parsha is talking about? Other parshas speak about various trumas. Why is this one called truma? Base. Another question is: if you want to look at the content of this parsha, give us some total, a synopsis in one line. What is this parsha talking about? The construction and building of the Mishkan. That's not expressed seemingly in the word truma, which means donation. Truma just means that the Jews separated and donated their wherewithal, their commodities for building the Mishkan. It doesn't speak about making the Mishkan. Vasili Mikdash. Very outset of the Arparsha says, they shall make me a Mikdash. It doesn't talk about that. It just talks about their donation to make a Mikdash. So why is a, a, a Parsha, which it's one word synopsis, two word synopsis is building Mishkan, called with the name Truma, which doesn't, doesn't denote building Mishkan. It's even a bigger question, says the Rebbe. L'cha'eda, the Seder itself should have started with the verse, make for me a sanctuary, and then said, in order to do that, they have to donate, and so on. Because that's, that's the purpose of taking the Truma, the purpose of taking the donation, give, give the mission statement first, make me a Mikdash, and then say, and they shall take for me Truma. So, why doesn't that start? In other words, a question here on the way Hashem wrote the Torah. Why doesn't it start with the purpose, make for me a mikdash, and then say the details of that purpose. Take for me a donation, take for me gold, take me this, and so on. And this is the way you should build it. So the fact that the Pasuk itself prefaces, take for me truma, oh, before the Pasuk, make for me a mikdash, this seems to give us the exact opposite meaning, that the synopsis here is all about the donation. And somehow that expresses the parsha more than the verse for us in the Midrash, make for me a base of Midrash. How is that? And more than that, the whole Indian of the Mishkan seems to be the exact opposite of the concept of Truma. What's Truma? Truma is about the Jews giving a gift to Hashem. 
the Mikdash, make for me a Mikdash, says the verse, Vishakhanti, and I will dwell in it. In other words, the purpose is Hashem's dwelling in the physical that the Jews create. So long as Hashem doesn't come down there to dwell, it's not a Mikdash, it's just, a, it's just an empty shell. And how do you get Hashem's presence to rest, to rest there, the Shechina to rest there? It can only be through Hashem's desire. Because Shleimah HaMelech said, we're going to quote now the verse from Elohim. The heavens and the heavens of heavens can't sustain you, Almighty God. This house somehow can. We're building you a, a, a defined structure. Can that be a place for you to rest? And this is a constant question. It's not a, never answered. And we're talking about the heavens and the heavens of heavens. It's talking about even the greatest and deepest spiritual worlds. They can't be a place, a true place of expression of God. So how can this be? Hashem's resting place, the thing we build here? Ah, so it's obvious that the answer to that is, it's a question that we have because we can't understand it. The answer is, yes, Hashem said, I'm going to come here. But only He can decide that. His unlimitedness can make Him contract himself and that he can express himself in this physical dimension that he told us to build. So that's making me a mikdash, that's Hashem's input. When we talk about teruma, about giving a, a donation, that does, that's not talking about Hashem's coming in it, it's talking about what man can do, which is really insufficient, as Shleim HaMelech asks. More than that, um, we're not even talking, when you say the word teruma, and you don't say sanctuary, you don't say temple, so if you would say Call the word, call the, the Parsha Mikdash, sanctuary. Okay, so at least you're talking about the whole picture of what was built. Then you would ask, but really, Hashem, it's Hashem's input that comes into it. But we're not even calling the, the Parsha the word Mikdash. We're saying Turuma. Turuma just means the donation. It's still an incomplete building. It's, it's just the act of giving that the person separates and gives from his wherewithal. Why does that, the name of the Parsha, that's supposed to denote this whole concept of making me a Mikdash and dwelling therein? Gimel. So we'll understand this by first prefacing a general question of this concept. Why does the Torah tell us with such great length about the donation of the Mishkan, about the building of the Mishkan, the beams, the coverings? As our sages have, a, uh, there's, there's a saying, an aphorism in the Talmud, which is, my dahava hava. Whatever was, was. Why are you discussing the past? Torah itself tells us that the Mishkan was only a temporary thing. As it says in the verse in Shmuel, that I was going in a tent and in a Mishkan. A tent is something temporary. It was only a temporary instruction. As the Pasuk tells us in the book of the Devarim, you haven't yet come to the, to, the, to the eventual permanent resting place in Yerushalayim. But really the instruction that we have for all times, what's called Beis Ilamim, the everlasting house for Hashem, is in Yerushalayim. So why are the details of the Mishkan relevant for us to know in all times? And even after the Mishkan was hidden away, we know that what Moshe created can never be captured by, uh, by enemies. So there, in the subterranean tunnels, under the Beis HaMikdash, the Mishkan was, was put away there. That's not, so it's, it's no longer relevant. Once the Beis HaMikdash is built, that's it. The Mishkan is something that never will come back. If you tell us about learning about the two Batei Mikdash that were destroyed, that they were destroyed, but we need to know about them because most of the structure of the third base of Mikdash is going to be built on the concepts of the first and second base of Mikdash. Why do we have to know about the Mishkan? The, the base of Mikdash is not going to have dimensions that we need to know the Mishkan's dimensions for. More than that, when we talk about 
um, learning about the second base amigdash with uh, the first base amigdash, we know that when Mashiach, as um, as it says in the, the Rambam explains, quote the Rambam. When the Beisamitish will be rebuilt, Mashiach comes, we have to build similar to that, to that concept. There's going to be changes and additions and, 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 and right? modifications. More than that, when we learn now about the Beisamitish, it's considered, says, as our sages tell us, Hashem says it's considered like you're building the Beisamitish. And this way we make sure that, that our, the building of the house of Hashem is never idle. We're always building virtually through learning about it. But when can we be virtually building a Beis HaMikdash? It's only the Beis HaMikdash, which is a constant instruction. It's just that now we, for side reasons, can't build it. We need Mashiach to come tell us where, and that it's the time, and so on. But if we could, the mitzvah is incumbent upon us to build a Beis HaMikdash. Now also, taking away those God-given obstructions. But the Mishkan, no. If we could build the Mishkan, now we're not instructed to. So why are we still learning about the Mishkan? So, Dalit, we could answer, like the Rebbe has spoken in other places, that the instruction, make for me a sanctuary and I will dwell therein, even though it says it about the Mishkan, it's actually a constant instruction. It's an instruction to build a house for Hashem. That's the instruction on all the houses of Hashem. Mishkan, the future Beis Amikdashes, they're all emanating from this Pasuk, make for me, a Mikdash and I will dwell there. More than that, even though the actual construction of the Mishkan was different than what was going to be later in the Batei Mikdash, which we're instructed to make, however, the many things are similar to the Mishkan. Like the Ramam explains, you know, some of the basic concepts, that there's the levels of Kedusha, there's the Kodesh, Kedusha Kodoshim, and also about the, 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 the instruction about donating to the Mishkan. Is the same for the Beis Hamikdash. The law is the same. The Beis Hamikdash, the law is Hakol Chayovim Livnesol Eside Ba'atzmom Uvamamaynom Anoshem Anoshem. Everybody is obligated to build and to support by themselves and with their financial help, men and women. So that's the same in the Mishkan and Mikdash. We have to learn about how they constructed it. In other words, how they funded it. So we, also many of the many of the vessels were the same. So you got to learn. There's many details of the Mishkan that are re, that are applicable to the Beis Hamikdash. Which we are now obligated to build. So that's why we understand why you have to learn about the Mishkan. Even more so, you could say, at least in the inner track of things, the fact that in actuality it was in this way that first they built a Mishkan and then they built the Beis Amikdash, it's not that it just happened to be that way. Hashem says, Oh, I really want to build a, a Beis Amikdash. But right now, you know. You know, those planes, when they can't land, will be in a holding pattern. Meantime, build the Mishkan. No. Hashem did it this way because this is the Seder. This is the order and sequence of the way you fulfill the mitzvah. You start with a Mishkan, and you build your way up to Beis HaMikdash. First a Mishkan, which is temporary, and not in a way that it becomes an actual permanent place in the space. And then you come through the fact that you went through, so to speak, the startup, the warm-up, then you can come to the full, final product. The building, the permanent house in Yerushalayim. So if that's the if that was a, a needed sequence of events, it's not just you know a, a filler. So we'll understand about learning about the Beis Hamikdash. In order to properly learn about it, what we want to be doing is, um, it's not enough to learn about the Beis Hamikdash, this final stage. We have to first learn about the build up to the Mishkan because it's part of the process. It's almost like if you want to learn 
top high level studies, you need to put your mind through the steps of building up to it, right? Even though you don't stay with that, maybe you discard, maybe that, that doesn't stay your, 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 your end product, but you need to build through it in order to get properly to that stage. That's what Hashem wants. So if you want to be involved in building the Beis HaMikdash, Hashem says, learn the Mishkan, build up and learn, and then read about the Beis HaMikdash. The same way it was built literally in, in history, virtually built it the same way. That's not enough of an answer, says the Rebbe, though. Because since Torah is eternal, it's not enough to say that we're learning about the Mishkan now in order to get to the next real step about the Beis HaMikdash. In other words, not just that historically it was that way, but also now it's just a stepping stone. No. The Torah is eternal. That means that, that what we talk about, the building the, of the Mishkan, it's also, there's also an eternality in the building of the Mishkan. There's got to be, at least as in spiritual life, a teaching for us, not from that the Mishkan brings us to the real point, but there's a real point for eternity also in the building of the Mishkan. So what's the point of the Mishkan in our lives? Rabir is an explanation. Hey, we talk about the resting of the Shekhinah down below, you can get confused because we find that the Medrash refers to Hashem dwelling, coming down here to dwell in this world in two stages. On the one hand, it says that at the giving of the Torah, it says that's when the Gezerah, the so to speak divine decree that heaven and earth, spirituality and materialism are two separate things and to, to use the uh, English uh, term, the twain shall never meet, the two won't meet, uh, that changed at the giving of the Torah. The Medrash says that that the initial obstruction between heaven and earth, the upper worlds joining the lower worlds, the lower worlds ascending to the upper worlds, was cancelled. And I will start, says Hashem. I went down, Hashem went down on the mountain of Sinai. And then it says, Hashem told Moshe, go up on the mountain. So you have heaven coming, earth coming up to heaven, heaven coming down to earth. Elsewhere, though, so it seems like Hashem came down to rest in earth by the giving of the Torah. Elsewhere it says, It says the Medrash, When did Hashem's holy presence reside in earth? The day the Mishkan was created. There's almost a year in between. So when was it? Then or then? Ah, movement, so we understand. There's no argument. The giving of the Torah was, was Hashem coming down. The building of the Mishkan was Hashem coming down. One man is emphasizing, this is a, a, a terminology from Gemara, one said this, one said this, but they're not arguing. The resting of the Shekhinah at the giving of the Torah was, because Hashem started our sin, there's two aspects in the, in, in, in the, in the Shekhinah residing down below. Har Sinai was Hashem's initiation. And since, it, since it was initiated from above, therefore, even though when Hashem came down on the mountain, it says anybody who touches the mountain will die because the mountain was suffused and, 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 and permeated with holiness. But that holiness that permeated the physical presence and space of the mountain of Sinai, it had an immediate, a, 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 very, a very abrupt ending. The moment that the shofar blew, when the shofar blew, protracted shofar, it was the Simon Shiluk, Siluk, Simon Siluk Shechina, it was a sign that Hashem was going back upwards to heaven. And then the Torah says openly, everybody can go up on the mountain, no limitations. That, that mountain didn't retain its holiness. That's, by the way, why, why we don't go and look for Har Sinai to, to, you know, to, to create a, a, a sacred space there. When Hashem was there, it was sacred, holy. If you went on it, zapped from the holiness. Once Hashem left, so to speak, came a regular mountain. It was just a location. It didn't become a holy location.
However, we talk about the Shekhinah residing in the Mishkan. That came about not through Hashem's initiation of Hashem coming down. There had to be a precursor, and that is, V'osoli Mikdash, they shall make for me, the Jewish people, the sanctuary. Ah, and every part of the way the Torah emphasizes that, also make this and make that, V'samishkan, Tasa, make the Mishkan. It keeps on talking about doing, doing, the human initiative, the human action. So since the residing of the Shechina, when it comes in the form of a Mishkan, is coming through the human deed, ah, that is why the Kedusha, the holiness and the sanctity, is Nikva Gevar, it becomes fixed and locked in and anchored into the actual physical object, the materialism of the Mishkan. It becomes a Mishkan, a dwelling place for God with all of its details. The physicality now becomes holy. Not like before, where the mountain, Hashem retracted from the, you know, raised up from the mountain. The mountain became mundane. Now, the holiness that comes into the physical gold and silver that creates and constructs the Mishkan becomes holy, never to be separated. It is existentially holy. We have similarity, we have like a tefillin. Before the, <coughs> where the actual object becomes holy. The animal hide becomes holy. That's what a Mishkan is. <coughs> to use the language and the style of Hasidic language, based on the Medrash, the coming down of the Shekhinah at the time of Matan Torah was a down, a, a, a top-down, says the Medrash. Hashem says, I'm going to initiate it. And it says, Hashem came down on the mountain of Sinai. And since really Hashem's purpose is, Hashem's intention is, why should Hashem doesn't want to descend below so that He should descend. Shem wants to create a space for himself in the lower worlds, which means that the lower world is elevated and becomes an expression of Hashem, becomes a dwelling place for Hashem. So when you look from Hashem's perspective, there's a concept of a potentiality is not lacking in actualization. Excuse me. Us humans, you know, you can tell some, somebody, uh, sometimes uh, the previous Rebbe used to write to people very special uh, titles. Sometimes they would question the Friedrich Rebbe. You write it to a person, he's got fearing and he's special in this, and sometimes quite honorific titles, but he doesn't look like that. <laughs> I believe. Friedrich Rebbe said, I'm talking to his potential. We do it with kids. You're such an amazing kid. Now, could be the kid has an amazing potential, he hasn't yet realized it. The, down below, it's possible that potential will not be actualized. It will remain a potential. With Hashem, the potential is, is, is no question, it's, it's going to be actualized. It is actualized right now because he's higher than time. So from Hashem's perspective, coming, initiating a descent into the world which should lead to the lower world ascending on its own, as far as he's concerned, once he initiates it the, and the potential is there for the world to ascend, it's done. However, and that's why we find that Aseris Adibris, the voice reverberated from all heavens and earth, from all four corners of the world. In other words, the world itself was screaming what Hashem was screaming. Hashem was streaming through it. However, the full wholesomeness of Hashem's intention is that the lower world should become an expression for Hashem, should become a dwelling place for Hashem. Not just in potential, 
Elvis, not just from the way he's influencing it, where his potential is, is in his eyes, so to speak, from Hashem's vantage point, is actualized. Now, Hashem wants that should be kav shaloi, there should be the buy-in, that the lower world should be the creator and the generator of this holy space. There should be the actualization that comes from below. And that's what the that's where the Mishkan becomes superior in terms of creating Hashem's space down below more than the giving of the Torah. The giving of the Torah is Hashem's initiation. The Mishkan is, they shall make for me, and I will dwell therein. The I dwelling in there that Hashem says about the Mishkan is initiated and drawn down and elicited by the Jewish people through the Vasali Mikdash. And I will understand why the Pasuk first says, we want to talk about the Mikdash. The most important part of the Mikdash is actually the fact that they are taking the Truma, that they are collecting their physical items and separating it and elevating it to God. Because this concept that the Shechina should rest in the Mishkan has to come through the Truma. It's not as if, oh, if some, uh, if, if some uh, um, uh, treasure would descend from heaven, Hashem doesn't need the Jewish people to give the Truma. He wants it that way. He wants that. And the whole point of the Mishkan over the, the, over the giving of the Torah is that Hashem says, I'm not the initiator right now. You guys have to do it. So Truma really expresses that in the most potent way. Why? Vav. Because Truma has two, two, two translations. One Rashi says, Hafrosha, separating. Another explanation is the word Harama, which is the simple, uh, the Zoyar says it. The simple meaning of the word is to lift. Teruma. Harama means to lift. Ram, exalted. So it's separate, lift. The both Pirushim, they're not separate from each other. They're actually intertwined with each other. First of all, it means that um, not just that the uplifting of world and whatever is in the world, gold, silver, and so on, to godliness is achieved through the separation that man does, but it also explains what's taking place. In other words, so there's, how are we lifting, Turuma, how are we lifting up the world that the Zerah talks about? It's through doing what Rashi says, through separating from our own commodities, our own items, things, separating it away from Hashem, uplifting it to Hashem. But that's actually what's taking place conceptually. The word truma, separating, expresses that the person doesn't give everything away. He's separating something of his belongings. And he's lifting it, he's, he's, he's raising it to Hashem. For the sake of Hashem. Make for me, for my name. He's sanctifying it to Hashem. And this is the, this, here lies the difference between the two kinds of residing of Shechina that we discussed when Hashem comes down or when the people create this space for Hashem by giving their items. By Matan Teira, it's Hashem coming down, it's top down. The whole world, there's no difference between any items of the world. Hashem's presence just just, just subdues and, and, and subliminates everything into it. doesn't matter what it is. However, we talk about people lifting up and creating a space for Hashem. There it has to do very much. We live in a world of details, differences. So the, it has to do with how, how much your heart. The Torah speaks about, the, when, when we're talking about the open gifts, not the half shekel and half shekel, but the one everybody gives according to what they want. It really depends. The Torah speaks about the generous of heart gave more. There are some people that their heart is more generous, some people less. There's many level, different levels. When we talk about the lower spheres, many different levels. Some people are really resistant to God. Some people are much more open to, 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 the, to the Word of God. And everybody has to work through their own particular level. And remember, you have to separate from what you have. 
because there's a concept to fast and to fast. We try to do everything in one shot, it doesn't work. So usually people that come, they'll tell you, I woke up in the morning, I want to do everything. There's a concept. If you grab too much, often you're not grabbing anything. So we all, everybody has to give hafrosha, giving truma. The first level is separate something to God. In other words, recognizing the fact that we're talking to lowly people. You can't tell them all of a sudden, jump and give everything to Hashem. No, no, no. That, that, that would be, that can come sometimes from an inspiration from above, but it's not coming from the person. The person has to work through his issues, create a space in his heart for Hashem. A generosity, some people are naturally, give more than your nature. Some people are not, not give. And there's different commodities, different items. Some is difficult to give, some is less difficult to give. But the whole world has to become worked through. It's, so to speak, working and 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 um, exercising every part of the world, every part of the lower world to make it a dwelling place for Hashem. And this difference is not just in the, um, in the order and the way that the refinement and the elevation is done of the world. This is also expresses the way that the world will be subjugated and subliminated to Hashem in actuality. Why? Here's how it goes. When it comes from above, so that creates a bittle, subjugation, a cancellation of the ego of the world. Because when Hashem shines His power, there's no room for true independent existence. That's not godliness. As it says that when Hashem gave the Torah, birds didn't chirp, oxen didn't, didn't make noise. It was just a total sublimination, total, total subjugation, total uh, you know, nullification, so to speak. Uh, awe. Uh, everybody was like kind of blinded with the light. However, when we talk about the beetle, talk about the sublimination of the world to Hashem's presence, which becomes through the, the actions of man, especially in the beginning of that activity when you have to first build the Mishkan, you need to try and create that space. That can only happen when you separate from a part of your existence and give it to Hashem. In other words, you partially, you don't become totally canceled out. You take elements of yourself and lift them up and, de and devote them to God. Not that you have absolutely no, you've been totally subliminated into the Ein Sof, you have no existence. No, you take parts of your existence because a person cannot come to truly being self-negated, to truly being subliminated into the, into the, the above. He can only, at the best, a person, because <laughs> he's a person, you know, if you want to talk to a person giving himself to God, so it's a person, at least at the very, le at the very least, there is the, the, the existence, the self, um, uh, self-knowledge, the self-awareness uh, self of the person who's giving to God, right? When Hashem beams down, the person loses his self-awareness. And that's why the Torah speaks about the various different 13 or 7 kinds of things that Hashem wanted to be given to build the Mishkan. Because uh, in the service of the man to make for Hashem a dwelling place for Hashem, so every Jew is giving his nuance, his flavor. Because again, there's, there's, there are individual existences that are giving themselves, working through the, 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 their, their, their possible obstructions to elevate themselves to Hashem. So both in the separations, there's different levels, and in the elevation, different levels. And now we'll understand why first, the first thing the Torah says about building this space for Hashem down below, it says, take for me truma. Even before it says, make for me a mikdash. Because 
And that's why the name of the parsha is Truma. Because the main concept and the main chidush, main achievement here of this seder is that the final intention of Hashem to make a dwelling place for him in the lower world, which is achieved through the building of the Mishkan, needs to be done through Truma, through the person's action, which first, the parsha works from easier to more difficult. First, hafrasha, separate what you have to God, Truma, then elevate and make sure you devote it to God, and then Mikdash, then talk about the totality of the sanctuary where Hashem will come and reside. And that's the only way you can have the real, full plan of Hashem coming to realization. When the Truma, from the side of, 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 of people, of the Bnei Sol, is, is carried out. And this is the concept of Truma, the resting of Shekhinah. Yes, Truma does talk about, we said the whole Parsha is about Mikdash, about Hashem resting in this world. Yes, it is, but it's about the unique way that the Mishkan achieves this, which is about Truma, which is about the man's separation and elevation, the man's donation, in one word, to God. It has to come from Abed, it has to come from man's service. And then the world, his work, and then the world becomes the... the dwelling place for Hashem, where we say, the main, the, the essence of the Shekhinah comes down below. And that's, now we'll also understand why, why it's called Truma. Because from all Trumas, the main Truma that we want to talk about here is um, the fact that, the, 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 that Hashem wants and gives the opportunity for the person to separate, elevate something to Hashem. Yes, now we can understand how the building of the Mishkan in and of itself is not just an introduction to the building of Beis HaMikdash. It's, it, is, it has its own eternity as well. Because the fact that the achievement of Truma, of separating something to, to, to Hashem from below, the fact that it um, happened at the Mishkan Davka and not... It was post-giving of the Torah, once the shofar had sounded in Hashem, had ascended back upwards, um, is not just not just because this was after Matan Teira. Um, in other words, the fact the fact that the, the the human achievement here is so center and paramount is not just because Hashem had withdrawn, so to speak, his initiation that he did at Mount Sinai, that he he ascended, and therefore now. The Avodah has to be that we do it with our own efforts. The place we're doing it is also a factor of what we're doing. It ties into the whole theme. Midbar, we talk about desert. Where were the Jewish people building the Mishka? Not in Yerushalayim, in the desert. Desert in spirituality refers to a place where, where literally a man doesn't... Deserts are uninhabited. People don't live there. When we talk about Adam, man does not live there. There's Adam, man below. And there's also Adam, which refers to, so to speak, Hashem. The Adam Ha'elian, the supernal man, who sits on the supernal throne described by the, by the prophets. So when we say man doesn't live in the desert, it refers to a space where man, so to speak, Hashem doesn't reveal himself. When you talk about a city, in spirituality, a city would mean a place where people are. In other words, where Hashem, the Adam Ha'elian, is expressed there. So this is a difference generally between the Mishkan and the Beis HaMikdash. The Beis HaMikdash, where was it? It was when the Jewish people came to their resting place, to their permanent place, they left the desert and the spiritual concept of the negativity of the desert. They came to a place where people live. In other words, corresponding to the spiritual reality of where Hashem is able to reside. 
they build in a holy land. The land of Eretzisol is called the land where Hashem has his eyes on from the beginning to the end. It's a holy land in essence. In Eretzisol, they went to the holy place, Yerushalayim. We know that Yerushalayim is called Yerushalayim from the two words, Yerushalayim. The full, that's a place where there's full fear and reverence of Hashem because that's where Hashem is, is to be felt more openly. In Yerushalayim itself, in a place that's called the Gate of Heaven. Remember Yerushalayim and, and the, and the mount, and tem, Temple Mount, Haram is a place where the Akeda took place. It's, it's, it's a phenomenally holy place in and of itself, even before the Beis HaMikdash is built. The Beis HaMikdash, to make the dwelling place for Hashem, we make it from the physical wherewithal. The Jewish people had to donate their physical things. But in Yerushalayim, you don't feel, and doesn't, it's not expressed there that it's totally something happening from the, the, the human endeavor and investment. Because the place that Hashem has chosen, it's a place that's that's worthy and open, and and perfectly set up to have this kedusha stream through it. We talk about a desert. That's a place where people don't live. That's a place of unholiness. It's not. It's incongruent. It doesn't seem that that's a place you could create holiness. On the contrary, it's not just. It's called Midbar Amim, the, the desert of the nations. It's not Eretz Yisrael. It's the exact opposite. The desert, not just not a, a land of settlement, but it's also a desert and a desert of the nations. It says that there's Nochash, Sarof, Yaakov, there's serpents and scorpions, there's this thirst, no water. That's where they made the Mishkan. That's where they were instructed to make the dwelling place for Hashem. This was totally, Durchois, totally, the work of man. And that's what Truma really expresses, the separation, elevation that came from them. And that's why Dafka and the Mikdash, and that Dafka, as the Rambam calls it, the Mikdash Hamidbar, the sanctuary of the desert. You can take this teaching, this everlasting teaching that even in the time of exile when we don't see Hashem's signs openly, when we are in our conceptual midbar ha'amim conceptual and literal desert of the nations, we don't see the revelation of godliness, it's a doubled over darkness even in that kind of scenario we have the power to build a mishkan just like they did in the desert, the shachati v'seicham and Hashem says I will rest therein we can build a place for Hashem so according to this, we'll understand why the instruction about building the Beis HaMikdash we learn from the Mishkan. Remember, there's one Pasuk that tells us build a house for Hashem, and it goes on Mishkan in the desert, but it, that same verse, there's no new verse to say, build me a Mishkan Yishalayim. The same verse, sometimes in the desert, sometimes Yishalayim. Why? Because since the Uftu, since the achievement of Hashem resting down below in the Beis HaMikdash, it's advantage over Hashem coming down at the giving of the Torah is the fact that it becomes, it's the human endowment factor. And that concept, where was it most expressed? As we're saying now, it was most expressed in the Midbar. So that's why we learned the whole concept of building a house for Hashem, which is about using the human effort to draw down Hashem. We learn it from the place where it was most accentuated, which is in the desert, when they built a Mishkan. And according to this, we can understand and the inner look at things. When the Rambam speaks about the Mishkan, he calls it Mikdash Hamidbar, the sanctuary of the desert. Is that just a description of where it was? Because the Rambam starts to look like this. Everybody is obligated to build and to support themselves. With their money, men and women, just like they did in the sanctuary in the desert. I mean, earlier on when he speaks about the Mishkan, he doesn't refer to the Mishkan Hamid, but why here when he says everybody's obligated to give of themselves, just like the Mikdash and the Midbar, there seems to be a correlation when he speaks about the human buy-in, and he uses the word desert. 
Because that's exactly what we're saying. When we want to come and tell people that in the building of the Beis HaMikdash, in Yerushalayim, and in the future, they have to have their own effort involved, their own selves, and their own money, ah, that's referring to the Aved of Truma. In other words, their input. Where does that mostly express itself? I want to remind you, just like they did in the Mikdash of the desert, where the contrast was the most stark it would ever be. A place where there's no humanity, and a place where Hashem's holiness isn't. And there it all came about, it was emphasized, that it came about totally through their efforts that transformed the matter. So that is a, a teaching for everlasting time. Even when we learn about building the Mikdash in the future, we get the, the mission statement of it from what was done in the desert. So we have to learn about the desert. We have to become on fire about the concept of taking a desert, reformulating it, elevating it to be a place for God. Yud. This is also the teaching of the Indian of the Mishkan and the, and the donation to the Mishkan for every person, especially in the time that we find ourselves now. That I've said this in 1980, things are the same now. Because sometimes it comes a time that a Yid feels that he's in a situation of a desert. He feels bereft. He feels Hashem's presence is not there and with him. He feels that, 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 that there's nothing of Kedusha, of holiness, that's permanently vested in him. And he could fall into, a person could feel really despondent about that. Uh, that, uh, uh, who am I? I uh, what's my efforts worth to Hashem? I'm like a desert. I don't really have any permanent holiness in me. So, ah, so we tell him, no, 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 no. Now you have an opportunity to build a mishkan like in the desert. You feel like a desert? Fantastic. Let's go and build the sanctuary Hashem. That's where the real work was done. On the contrary, where was the instruction, make for me a place to dwell, given? It started in exactly what you're describing, in a place of emptiness, a place bereft of holiness. So, hey, you came to, you came to me, says the Rebbe, saying, oh, yeah, I don't have holiness. I am so empty. You're the guy. Go for it. And through this, that a yid makes a mishkan, being in a situation of a desert, then we can have the advantage. You say, well, I'd be better off. Hello, don't, you never try to be dark, but if you're in a place of darkness, Remember, there's an advantage to light that comes from the darkness, in contrast to the darkness, generated by the darkness. You know where that's going to catapult you? To another space of desert. Deserts can be good. There can be a desert of holiness. Because we said man cannot live there in the desert. Because it's too low. But there's another level in Ruchnia's spirituality where man cannot live there because it's so high. That the level of godliness revealed there is higher than the level that's called Adam. Even the level that's called supernal man. It's so high. So the Rebbe has given us the essence and the nugget of this parsha Truma. It's about separating, elevating, and don't complain that you're in the desert. Don't let that drag you down. Use it. Catapult you to the desert above settlement. Thank you.